Embrace the Truth, an apologetics-based ministry dedicated to engaging non-Christians with the credibility of the gospel in ways that touch the mind and the heart and equipping Christians to do the same. Uh, he has an interesting background. He was a proud Muslim uh, who, uh, for most of his life, he had studied the Quran and Islam, um, and after nine years of investigation, came to Christianity. So. Uh, came to faith in Christ, and so we have him here with us now. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about Embrace the Truth International. How, I mean, you you did your own your own study. You, you moved out of Islam in, into Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, into faith in Christ, uh, and now you have this you know this ministry, this yeah. international ministry. So, how did I, I know you didn't just Oh, I came to Christ, and now I'm going to start this Embrace the Truth Ministries. Right. Uh, so how did uh, Embrace the Truth International uh, come to be? From very humble beginnings, actually, uh, is uh, when I became a Christian, I knew it, so I'm a, sort of a natural-born advocate. That's kind of what I, how I'm, I'm, I'm built. Okay. If something is true, and I think it's worth defending, I will go ahead and defend it. Okay. That's why I spent so much time as a trial lawyer, actually. Okay. Um, so I was working as, a, as an attorney, became a Christian, and a friend of mine, who's also a speaker here, Mickey Battle-Lamenti, um, he was doing a group at our church called the Bereans. And it was mm-hmm. this idea yes. that you just basically tested the scriptures. And we answered cu- questions from the, from the church members. So on Sundays, uh, they would put in their questions in a little box. And on Wednesday night, uh, various times during the, during, the, during the year, we would answer the questions that were written in. And so a friend of ours walked in, and he was a Jewish believer. And he said, I want to be a part of that. So we got together, we, we got more people to be on board, talking about various issues and answering these questions, and it began to become more and more of a serious thing. And at some point, me, Mickey, who was a former skeptic, and our friend uh, Bruce Rubin, who, uh, who was then a part of the ministry, now he's moved on to other things, a Jewish believer said, you know what, there's more to just apologetics and answering questions. Okay. It's answering the people because of the, the, the baggage they carry with them and some of the costs for truth. So we started this ministry basically um, thinking we're going to do it part-time and all this kind of stuff and just do what, bloom where we're planted, as Greg Kokel would say. We just kind of bloomed where we were and see where it goes from there. And opportunities started to blossom. We started to see more and more opportunities. 9-11 happened, and so Islam was thrust into the fore. But then strident and radical atheism started to become a bigger deal, and it was a bigger problem as well to actually talk about the matters of faith without being ridiculed. So we began to see the, the need for this growing more and more, not just to equip believers, but then my heart as an evangelist started to get captured, and I wanted to go in, out into secular areas and areas that were not Christian and talk about the credibility of the faith. And I got invited to university campus, did my first open forum there, and I basically was hooked after that. Okay. I felt there was a calling on my life now to do this mm-hmm. on a full-time basis, to do this more with, uh, with a more intentionality. And uh, ever since then, we've uh, connected with some of the great scholars we've had at our, at our conference, like Mike Lacona and Alan Schleeman and Nathan Betts and Alicia and Dr. Rana and all these people. And the Lord has really blessed us because we've come in contact with the most brilliant people in the world. Uh, I'm an adjunct with Ravi with Zacharias International Ministries now, um, a great friend of Mike's, and uh, we, Reasons to Believe and I have done numerous things together, including international trips. So we've been blessed by that, and it goes to show you that if you're just faithful in the little things, sometimes God just kind of like, okay, you get to do a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and it's a matter of just the calling. Okay. Yeah. So, 
Um, so you came out of Islam yeah. into Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, is it safe to assume that your family is still Muslim, or did they convert yeah. as well? No, they are still Muslim. They are still Muslim. So, so what has that been like? Has that been a disappointment? Are you a disappointment? Are you still part of the family? I mean, well, you know, I, I can only tell you this. And obviously, you can appreciate these are intensely personal yes, things. Yes, sorry, I'll, I'll, it's too personal. No, it's okay. okay. Um, uh, I can tell you this. I've always had a strong family, and I continue to have a strong family. Uh, no, it hasn't been uh, a cakewalk for any of us, any of us, them or me. Uh, but I'll tell you this, God is good and my family is strong and it still is. Okay, cool. Yeah. You have a question, Justin? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you came away from Islam yeah. into Christ. Yeah. What was the biggest draw? What was, what was kind of the thing that kind of was like the aha moment where you finally had kind of come to grips with, right. you know, this is, this Christianity really is the truth. About right. I can't say that it was a specific aha moment that was just one. I had sort of several, okay. almost like a, a hiccup of ahas. Um, <laughs> I, I, I first began to see something. I was approached by two Baptist gentlemen at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. They're going door to door, okay. talking about Jesus. And there, done that. Yeah, and in Ann Arbor, as you can, as you guys probably know, not exactly the most friendly place for conservative evangelicalism. Uh, so they're getting a lot of doors slammed in their face. But they came to my door, and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait. You mean you guys deliver? This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't. They, they came in. That's, that's, that's great. awesome. I think we'll have the name of this episode. You mean you guys deliver? <laughs> oh, right, so I, I, the two guys, Dave and Pete, great guys. Uh, I liked Dave and Pete a lot, and they liked me, and they cared about my salvation, and I cared about theirs. So we had very good, sometimes very tense conversations. Um, but I wanted to find a Bible verse, a, a story in the Bible that was so contradictory that they couldn't get around it that it was a problem for them, that not just like a, a trivial contradiction, but a big one. And I had a Bible I got from a Gideon, and I saw the words of Luke chapter 3, verse 7 and following, when John the Baptist was saying, you know, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? And do not begin to think to yourself, you have Abraham as your father, for I tell you, God can raise up sons of Abraham from the stones. And what he's saying there is that tradition won't save you. And I've been asking Christians, why are you a Christian? And they'd say, tradition. And that wasn't a good enough reason for mm -hmm. me, but interestingly enough, I think by the power of the Spirit, frankly, that through the words of John the Baptist, he had asked me 2,000 years prior, and now I'm sitting in that, that chair in my apartment, why are you a Muslim? And is it because of tradition? And that was the real reason. Hmm. I had to find all the evidences that I wanted to back my faith up, but the real reason was tradition. So that began a search, and then I began to see something like, as a Muslim, I actually could not disbelieve in the Bible. See, impossible, I think, for a Muslim who is theologically faithful to his, his, his view that God is great to, dis to dis disbelieve in the Bible. It's just impossible because the Quran mentions the Bible in very glowing terms. It says that it's a book from which, that God has given us truth and light and guidance, that it is in there, not was, but is in there. Um, then I realized something. If God is great, then he would be trustworthy and all-powerful. If God allowed the Bible to become corrupted, then two things happen, two things follow. Either God couldn't protect the Bible or he wouldn't protect the Bible. If he couldn't protect the Bible from corruption, then what do I, why, why am I worshiping him? He's not omnipotent. If he wouldn't protect the Bible, then that means that he lets his self-revelation, the only way we know how to avoid hell, he let that go into such disrepair that people go to hell because of the blasphemies. Yeah. And he could have stopped it but chose not to. And that just seems to me to be a God who's not worthy of my trust. Mm. So if he's impotent, he's not worthy. If he's untrustworthy, he's not worthy. And I wanted to believe, and Muslims want to believe in a God who is truly worthy of our worship. And it seems to me that a God who's worthy of our worship could, would, and did protect the Bible from corruption. 
then you look at all the evidence, and then you see the, the evidence of the resurrection, and all these things were piling up for me. It took nine years, by the way, to finally see these answers. Now, intellectually, I had agreed to them. I had assented intellectually. This is true as a matter of fact, but it didn't become relevant to me. It didn't become something that I embraced as true, hence the name for the ministry. <laughs> um, I didn't embrace it as true. Oh. Yeah. yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> not know the truth, it's embrace right, the truth. All right, all right. It didn't become something that I was willing to embrace until I saw that it was worth it because the God I'd looked for, the God, the God who was great, is the God who would sacrifice. He would the greatest possible being expressing the greatest possible ethic in the greatest possible way, and that's the cross. When I realized that, that's when I gave my life to Christ. Now, it took nine years, not because the answers were hard to find, because they're hard to accept. Okay. And there's a, there's a, fun, a foundational difference. And we've dedicated our ministry to not only giving people answers, but also helping them to want those answers.